Welcome back, fans of the Detroit Tigers. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day. I'm going to be flying solo tonight because my co-pilot, Ashley McLennan, is down with a evil, evil summer illness, which are the worst kind, in my opinion. So you're going to have to listen to me for, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. So hopefully you can uh, hang in here with me. we got a lot to talk about. Holy smoke, what a night of baseball. The Detroit Tigers producing the greatest upset in baseball history tonight against the vaunted Houston Astros and former Tigers ace and f- always and forever Tigers great Justin Verlander. Holy cow, what a weird game. In fact, it's been a weird night of baseball all, all around the league. I don't know if anybody's watching the Cubs game. Uh, Nick Castellanos homered for the third time in three games, which is which is great. And then, uh, the, I don't know, last I looked, it was like it was 11-10 San Francisco, and Chris Bryant hit a two-run home run somewhere in extra innings. Um, the Erie Seawolves had to complete last night's game and then play another game tonight against the Richmond Flying Squirrels. Um, game two did not go that well, but Isaac Prades tallied six hits <laughs> in, uh, what was it, 10, 11 innings of play? I don't know, man. It's been some weird things, weird things going on. If you had uh, gone into this game knowing that the Houston Astros were minus anywhere from 550 to minus 600, which I saw, which apparently is the... You know, the most lopsided odds for any baseball game since 2005, I believe, according to ESPN. And then I told you that Justin Verlander would go nine innings and only need 99 pitches, would only allow two hits, would strike out 11, he wouldn't walk anyone, and he would lose. You would not have believed it. You may not have believed it, even if you didn't know that, just knowing that the Tigers are facing Justin Verlander and the Astros. But baseball is a weird game, folks. Uh, The Astros made two... Very foolish uh, base running blunders. Jose Altuve trying to advance first to third. Got gunned down at third base. And to close out the game in the ninth inning, Joe Jimenez got the first two batters easily. Looked as good as he's looked in quite a while, actually, tonight. Was pretty much lighting the fastball up wherever he wanted it. All around the edges. Looking good. But Robinson Chirinos, who had already homered, I believe against against Tyler Alexander in the fourth inning, I believe, or possibly the fifth inning. Already had a single and a double with a chance for a cycle. Two outs, last at bats, bottom of the ninth inning. Chirinos hits a deep fly ball up the right center gap. Travis Demerit makes a nice try, trying to haul it in, can't get it. Harold Castro whips it into Gordon Beckham in perfect relay form. Beckham turns and guns down Robin Chirinos at third base to end the game. Wow, wow! Um, we haven't had we haven't had a game like that really uh, this year. Um, maybe in a couple of years, <laughs> but every time we seem to face Verlander, crazy things happen. Um, you'll all remember what was I believe it was the first time they faced him in Houston, or was it in Detroit? I can't remember. It was Detroit, I believe. But the Tigers hit four home runs off of him. Um, you know they obviously get up for those games, and weird things happen. Um, Ronnie Rodriguez. Had one of the two hits. Obviously, both the two hits were solo home runs. Um, Ronnie Rodriguez's shot was, you know, kind of a cheapo. Flipped it over the right field wall. Um, didn't really even look like he'd gotten all the ball kind of a thing. But John Hicks absolutely mashed one um, to left up into the, the train track area. Um, above left the left field wall in a Minute Maid Park. 
Um, and if you, you know, you kind of know the history of, of John Hicks, he and uh, Ben Verlander grew up playing baseball together and are good buddies. And so he's known, you know, Justin Verlander since he was a kid, um, you know, and I'm sure Justin Verlander was kind of the inspiration for him and anybody else in that area who, uh, of, of the Goochland, Virginia area who ended up making it um, to pro baseball. Um, and he's had JV's number and he did it again tonight. Um, you know, John Hicks. Probably isn't really a major leaguer. Um, you know, probably should be catching for the Toledo Mud Hens and you know coming up and filling in here and there. But uh, every once in a while, the the raw power shines through, and he got to Verlander tonight. And hey, the Tigers win. And frankly, the Tigers played the cleaner game of the two, which is you know all, also kind of surprising. Um, but it's it has been kind of a trend. Um, if you look back to the the Tampa Bay series. Yeah, you know, they blew a game, you know, with a couple of errors that I don't think actually got charged as errors with Joe Jimenez on the on the mound on Sunday. But um, overall, they've played a much cleaner brand of baseball, and the pitching's been reasonably good. Um, we haven't seen anybody really get blown up. Um, it feels like Ron Gardenhire has kind of, you know, just given in to the, the fact that, you know, a lot of these guys really are just never going to go six, seven innings for you, and he should just back off of trying. Um Part of that is the Daniel Norris protocol that we're in, apparently, where, you know, he's only going to throw three or four innings a night so that they can, um, you know, they can keep him on five days rest, let him keep that routine, let him keep building himself up. Um, We've seen Daniel hitting, you know, 92, 93 a lot more consistently over the past month, um, which is a good sign. I'm definitely, you know, one of the one of the few probably um, last true Daniel Norris believers. But you know, we saw with Justin Verlander what those kind of, you know, those bilateral sports hernia that Verlander had. I think um, Daniel Norris only had, you know, had the tear on one side, but they didn't get it right with the first surgery. He had to have surgery again last year, and so this may be the first, you know, off season since 2016 where he's going to go into it, you know, totally healthy not having to rehab anything and can actually start, you know, building more strength, flexibility, mobility in his hips. Um, I still think there's a chance that Daniel Norris finds some of that old velocity and comes out next year, you know, sitting 92 to 94 again. Um, and if that happens, you know, we may have, have ourselves a pretty solid starting pitching pitcher there again. You know, if you go back to the beginning of the season, you know, I don't think too many people, you know, had much faith that Daniel Norris would be any use at all. Um, but instead, you know, he's basically been a league average pitcher. Um, he's taken the ball every time on his turn, hasn't missed any starts, um, you know, had a few relief appearances early in the year. But other than that, you know, he's, he's been out there, you know, kind of, kind of iron manning his way through it. Um, and we know he still has, you know, he's still dealt with a few, you know, lingering groin issues this year. He still had times where things tightened up on him. Um, but the fact that he, you know, hasn't missed a start, hasn't had any injuries, all that I think is very positive and you know we'll just have to see how things go next spring but I'm still interested in seeing Daniel Norris as a starting pitcher for one more year um, to see if he can find that velocity back the command I think has been you know coming on pretty strong you know the past couple months um, just hasn't you know just hasn't really ha- he just doesn't have the fastball to punch people out unless he's absolutely precise with it and so you've seen the strikeout totals down um, you know, he's still a little bit home run pl- prone here and there, but he hasn't been walking people. And I do think that if he gets that velocity back, it's going to just set everything else up for him. Hitters aren't going to have as much time to react on the changeup or the slider. And, you know, his whole arsenal will will come together much more effectively, I think. So that'll be something to look forward to next spring. Um, you know, hopefully Daniel can do that and, and bring himself back. You don't necessarily see guys that often who are, you know, in their 
early to mid 20s who suddenly lose all this velocity due to a groin injury and never have any arm problems and can't get it back. So I'm going to remain optimistic that that um, that velo is still in there and that another good off-season's work and conditioning may bring it out of him. But we'll just have to see how how things play out there. Um, he's just going to kind of pitch, you know, as sort of an opener. It's not really an opener, but all in all, you know, it's probably going to be better for the Tigers' rotation to see guys used in sort of this stacked fashion where you just have Daniel go three innings or four innings, and then you turn to Tyler Alexander or Drew Verhagen and hope that they can get you through the seventh. Tonight, you know, things almost didn't work out because Buck Farmer was kind of a mess. Um, and despite Buck Farmer having a pretty good season and really, you know, showing some signs of, of using his slider more effectively this year, um, showing pretty darn good velocity, sitting, you know, pretty much 94, 95 regularly, um, generally with reasonably good command as well. But um, tonight he just didn't have it. I still don't really know what to think about Buck Farmer at this point. Um, you know, he's, he's been been here since 2014, has never really put together any kind of a strong campaign. Last season when they, you know, really finally did just convert him to relief from the start and he knew that's what he was going to be doing. He did have a pretty solid season, but I still I, I still worry about him in, in tight spots. Um, but he's going to get another opportunity, I think, next year. So, yeah, quite a game, quite a game overall. Um, we're going to talk about a couple different things tonight. Um, I'm going to kind of give a rundown of, of some of the injuries and some of the impact that all these injuries have had on the Tigers and, and throughout the system, really, because there's a few in the minor leagues. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the potential for the Tigers building a pretty damn good bullpen next year. And, you know, then I'm going to just run through a couple couple players in particular who've just been, um, you know, doing interesting things, let's say. Um, and that'll include Willie Castro, Isaac Paredes. I'm going to talk about Tyler Alexander a little bit. And then we're going to talk about Tarek Skubal and Joey Wentz before we roll out of here. So that's sort of your itinerary tonight. Um, kick back with me. We're going to run through some of these things. I'll try to break these up into, into relatively short segments. All right, the first thing we're going to get to was the big news um, in the Tigers organization today. And it's not happy news. It's not necessarily sad news either, but uh, the Tigers have decided to shut Casey Mize down um, for the rest of the season. He's going to stay with the Erie Seawolves and, you know, kind of just, I guess, hang out and, you know, get his work, his workouts at least in. As the Seawolves, you know, I think they've got 13 games left, maybe 12 after tonight, um, before heading into what looks like a, a pretty likely possibility of a postseason run. Um, there's only that many games left. Um, as of last night, they had a two-and-a-half game lead over the Bowie Bay Sox in the Eastern League's Western Division. So it does look like they've got a pretty damn good shot to, you know, to play in the postseason. And the Tigers seem to be using that as, you know, as the rationale for not promoting anyone to the Toledo Mud Hens. Um, they've basically kept the entire band together. There's a bunch of prospects at Erie. Isaac Paredes, um, Anthony Castro... Matt Manning, Casey Mize could have pitched at Toledo this year. All those guys, and probably Tarek Skubal as well, you know, are, are ready to go to the Toledo Mudheads and move up to the AAA level. Um, I think you can add Derek Hill to that um, to that list as well. But the Tigers have made the decision to kind of keep all those guys together and kind of let them all experience, you know, a, a bit of a stretch drive and, and going to a postseason kind of experience together, which... 
I mean, I kind of think might be, you know, rather overrated, but, you know, also, you know, isn't something to get worked up particularly about. I think for the pitchers, especially moving to AAA now that AAA is using the major league ball, which not only, you know, flies farther in the air and has less drag on it and produces more home runs, but it also, you know, based on quite a few people's um, reports, seems to feel a little bit different. Like the cover is a little bit slicker, um, you know, the seams are a little bit tighter. So there is a little bit of a difference there. And, you know, if you weren't going to move your pitching prospects up, you know, in the beginning of July, late June, um, and give them time to kind of get acclimated to using the new ball, um, there really isn't much point, you know, sending them up, you know, late in the, in the year, you know, for the last, you know, three or four weeks um, in August. So I don't really have any problem with that. It's just more of a, a long-term concern about the Tigers really are kind of slow playing some of these guys and being real, real careful with them. And that is okay if it works out, but you also have to wonder if, you know, some of these guys aren't kind of getting stalled a little bit um, and not being challenged as much as you would like to see them challenged. You watch um, Scooble and Manning go out there and just absolutely overpower all these double-A lineups without much more than their fastball most of the time. And, you know, it just kind of it just kind of tells you. Like, to get those two guys to understand how to use their off-speed pitches and to sequence them better and to understand how to, you know, that they need to improve those pitches if they're going to, you know, be the kind of pitchers that we think they can be at the major league level. You know, they're going to have to take some lumps somewhere. Um, and so far, there hasn't really been anybody capable of delivering those lumps with any consistency to really to Casey Mize either. Although since um, going down with some shoulder inflammation, you know, he, he hasn't been the same. He's kind of been hit or miss from start to start. Hasn't really quite had the same velocity or the crisp fastball um, that we saw earlier in the season. But Manning and Scooble are, are, you know, pitching just fine and pretty much just dominating everyone. Um, and both of them, you know, have good fastball command. You know, like they both made, you know, strides in that regard, especially Scooble. Manning made a lot of those strides last season. But, um, you know, it just comes down to player development and, and knowing the player, uh, you know, knowing what their mentality's like. I don't have all that, you know, inside information. Um, nobody but the team really does. So we're just going to have to go, you know, with their decision-making process on that. And I wouldn't worry too much about it this year. It's more, you know, a question of, of how how slow they take it with some of these guys next year. Um, I, I would really like to see them be a little bit more aggressive. You know, most of these guys should start out at Toledo next season. Basically, everybody I mentioned, um, probably a couple others, you know, Anthony Castro, whether you want to keep him as a starter. I mean, he, he tossed another really good game the other night. I believe he struck out nine um, through seven innings, allowed a couple runs. You know, you can keep him as a starter as long as you want to, but he still seems like a guy who is going to be a reliever. And some of these decisions are going to be forced on the Tigers, um, you know, sooner rather than later, depending on how the offseason goes, depending on if maybe they, you know, if they find the, the, the right buyer for Matt Boyd. Um, all those things are still on the table. And leave it there for now until I get into discussing, you know, the possibilities for the bullpen in Detroit next year. But the thing with Casey Mize is he doesn't seem to be injured, but by the same token, there, there's obviously something wrong because, you know, he, he threw as many innings as he threw this year in his junior season at Auburn and was done, you know, by the end of May 2018, was drafted, threw a few innings, you know, did some work at the Lakeland Complex, 
and then didn't pitch again until this spring and was really, you know, just unhittable and dominant for, you know, three, four months. Well, three months. And then, you know, was basically shut down for, for much of July um, and, and a little bit of late June. And, you know, that is a concern. It's, it's certainly a concern about his durability. Pitching in, Pitcher injuries aren't, aren't really that predictable. You know, they really aren't. You know, everyone's been trying for years to, to sort this all out. There's a bunch of guru, you know, fakes on, on Twitter and elsewhere who will tell you they've got it all figured out. But if you're going to predict pitcher injuries, you know, the simplest thing to do is just to predict that, you know, all pitchers will get injured because at some point they all do get injured. But it doesn't seem like there's anything majorly wrong with Casey Mize, you know, but that wear and tear issue and, you know, the questions about whether or not he's ever going to be a guy who can really, you know, throw 180 plus innings for you in a season, you know, is has to be, you know, right at the forefront of everybody's minds again, unfortunately. And it's going to be up to Casey Mize, you know, to, to figure something out with his conditioning and his, his training and his routine to alleviate some of these issues and let him stay in there longer because he really did have a, you know, quite a long break um, after being drafted. It's not like he's been worked hard since the Tigers drafted him at all. Um, in fact, they've handled him with kid gloves to begin with, and we still have these issues. Um, so it's probably for the best that they shut him down, but they've got to be a lot more proactive. You know, somebody does in, in terms of figuring out something with his training um, to, to help him hold up better. And right now, you know, the paradigm seems to be take it easy. You know, don't throw so many innings. Don't throw so many pitches. But teams have been trying that kind of thing for a decade, and it hasn't necessarily had that much of an effect. There have been a lot fewer Tommy John surgeries over the past couple years, but to my mind, it seems more that teams have recognized um, earlier when a guy, you know, is is trending toward, you know, having some kind of UCL issue. You know, if anybody has any problem in their forearm and their triceps, they shut them down immediately. They give them a lot more rest maybe than they used to, um, even after they, they've come around and started feeling good. And maybe that maybe that's what's played a part. But you can also take a look at, you know, the example of, you know, guys like Trevor Bauer um, and, and many others who have actually, you know, increased, you know, the kind of workload that, that they go through as opposed to, you know, what what teams seem to be leaning towards. And, you know, Trevor Bauer throws all off season. Um, you know, there was a great story, oh, sometime in the offseason about Adam Ottavino and how he, you know, basically rented this storefront, bought himself, you know, a Rapsodo and an Edgertronic camera and completely rebuilt his slider. And he was throwing all offseason, you know, and Trevor Bauer does, the, you know, does the weighted ball work, does, you know, the long tossing, um, does the, the shoulder tube and shoulder conditioning work all offseason and doesn't really take that much time off from actually throwing. And when you look when so many injuries happen to pitchers, it's it's very often in the spring. Um, having you know been covering baseball for five years now, you know it's almost like you know something that we have a you know a grim joke about. You know the harvest, the the spring harvest of arms, where you know these guys just haven't been throwing probably in the off season. And you know you can do conditioning, and teams try to build you up slowly when pitchers and catchers arrive, but taking that much time off may actually, you know, be, be detrimental. Um, you know, rest is, is good, but at a certain point you can't, you know, you, you can't rest more than you actually need. Um, you know, it's not like you can like, damn it, I'm going to rest 12 hours every day. I'm going to sleep, you know, 12, 13 hours. You know, there's a diminishing return to that sort of thing. Um, it's, it's important to get your rest and it's important not to overwork yourself in the off season. 
but I think there, there's still lots to be to be figured out about what the what the proper offseason regimen should be for a lot of guys. So hopefully the Tigers have some ideas. Hopefully they can get Casey Mize, you know, right, and you know we'll see a bit more durable version of him next season. Um, but because he's only you know going to end up throwing, I think you know around 105 innings, the odds of him going out next year and throwing more than 140, I think, are pretty slim. Um, teams like to kind of increase you by you know 25, 30 innings a year. Uh, you know we're going to see Manning probably throw you know close to 155, 160 innings this year. Last year, I believe he threw right about 130. You know, they're, they're building him up to that so that next year, you know, there should be no restrictions. Um, if everything goes well, he's, he's going to be able to give you 180-plus innings and be ready to go all season long. And, you know, as long as he's healthy, in my mind, will no doubt, um, you know, force his way into the Major League roster next year, um, probably sooner rather than later. Um, but even if, you know things go well and the Tigers don't have many injuries and they don't really need a starting pitcher up there. Um, you know, at least I would expect you're going to see him late in the season. So not, not great news about Casey Mize, but also not something to get too worked up about right now. It's just something that needs to be proactively addressed this off season. So we'll see how that goes. Um, in other injury news, unfortunately, Blaine Hardy has been shut down for the season. Um, it sounds like the procedure went well and, you know, everything was deemed a success. He went and saw Dr. Andrews. Um, he's been dealing with, with a forearm strain that's kind of been off and on all season long and has really kind of impacted his ability to pitch the way he did in, in 2018. Um, that 2018 season was a really heavy workload for Blaine Hardy, not just in terms of innings, but in terms of the type of usage because he was kind of forced back and forth between, you know, taking starts and pitching well enough where they would try to let him go five or six innings. Um, or at least, you know, get three, four innings out of him, you know, and then, you know, maybe three or four days later, all of a sudden he's back in relief. Um, and, you know, he's never been a guy who's had the priority, you know, from a team to where they were going to take care of him and do, you know, what's best to bring him along. And yet he's held up, you know, really well as a Tiger and, you know, done really nice work as a, as a journeyman reliever. So, you know, it's kind of sad um, to see his, his season shut down. Um, he'll be heading home. And, you know, the Tigers aren't going to tender him, you know, any kind of a, a major league contract this offseason, and he's not going to get one anywhere else. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see if the Tigers decide to invite him to camp and, and maybe bring him back on a minor league deal. And if that happens, I would expect that Blaine Hardy being Blaine Hardy, um, as long as he's healthy, he will end up fighting his way right back into the major leagues and, and be, a, you know, a useful piece in Ron Gardenhire's bullpen next season. But, um, you know, at BYB, we're big fans of the Hardys, both Blaine and Nikki. And, you know, so we definitely wish them well. And I hope this isn't the last we've seen of Blaine in a Tigers uniform, unless the opportunity arises to pitch for a contender, in which case I hope he would, he would take that. Because being in your early 30s, um, and Blaine Hardy is, a, by all accounts, a very reasonable, down-to-earth fellow. I'm sure he understands this quite well. Um, you just don't get that many more chances. So if he, you know, if he finds his way to a contender and pitches in their, you know, their minor league system and can fight his way back up to the majors um, as needed, well, that would be, that would probably be ideal for him. So best wishes to the Hardy family. Um, the next one is Bo Burrows, who it sounds like has a fairly serious oblique strain. Um, he's been shut down for the season, and it's bad enough that they've already ruled out, you know, maybe him getting some work in the Arizona Fall League. Um, so, you know, it, it's basically just going to be a lost season for, for Bo Burrows. 
Um, Kyle Funkhauser, you know, has kind of been in the same boat, but Kyle Funkhauser, of course, is also, you know, several years older um, and really running out of time to, you know, find himself as a starting pitcher who has any chance to, to pitch as a starter in the major leagues. Um, if it's me, I already, I've given up already. Um, you know, I would put Kyle Funkhauser in the bullpen next year. I might do the same thing with Bo Burrows, um, depending on how usage works out and depending on how the Tigers want to play, you know, the, the big boys, the big starters, um, starting pitching prospects, and which ones of those, those are directly sent to Toledo to start next year. But, um, yeah, it's been a rough season for, for Bo Burrows, and, you know, we thought and hoped that Funkhauser and Burrows both might be able to provide some support to the Tigers' rotation or to the bullpen, um, and they've just, neither one of them has just ever gotten in much of a groove this season. They both had, you know, shoulder issues. Um, Kyle Funkhauser got absolutely clobbered and knocked out of the game in the first inning again tonight. You know, he's he's just been a mess. Um, Tigers sent him all the way down, you know, and had him pitch at Erie for a couple weeks to try to get his confidence back. And, you know, he handled that just fine. But, you know, he came right back to uh, to Toledo, and it's basically been the same old Cal Funkhauser. So, you know, he's going to be falling down the prospect list because he looks much more like a reliever, um, a relief prospect at this point, and not, not necessarily a terribly good one. But he does still have, you know, a high-end fastball that he can run up there, 97, 98. And he's still got a pretty good slider. Um, the other pitches that just haven't come along, I think it's time to, to recognize because he's going to be 26 next year. Um, you know, if you haven't kind of figured it out at that point, um, it's, it's time to make a decision on him. So, yeah, um, we'll just see what goes on with, with Funkhauser. As for Burroughs, you know, he's young enough that I, I'm just going to kind of write this year off. You know, next season I would probably still keep him as a starter. And, you know, hopefully he can get himself right this off season, And, you know make some gains basically you know he needs he still needs to tighten his fastball command he still needs to command his curveball and his changeup much more consistently um, both those pitches have some potential um, but you know at their best flash you know a little above average and it still doesn't really seem like he's he's going to be a guy who, who has the stuff to start um, he, he's a guy who probably everything's going to play up best out of the bullpen he doesn't really have, you know, a, a particularly sizable frame um, to throw as hard as he does, and all those signs say future reliever. But uh, but because he was injured this year, you know, the steps that we were hoping to see Bo Burrows take that I just just mentioned as far as his command and his breaking ball, you know, you just kind of write those off because he is young. Um, to this point, he's been good at every level, even though he's been young for just about every level he's pitched at, and he's also been very durable. So hopefully, this is just a blip on the radar for Bo. And he can come out next year improved and, and show us what he got what he's got. Um, we've also got Sergio Alcantara and Daniel Panero for the Erie Seawolves, who have both gone on the injured injured list. Um, neither of those injuries are serious, but it did precipitate the call up of Cole Peterson. Well, Cole Peterson I think was called up actually before Alcantara went down, but he's he's the one who's going to play most of the shortstop now because Panero plays shortstop sometimes, um, but it's mostly been Alcantara and Isaac Paredes. And so I would assume you'll see Peterson at shortstop um, a good deal going forward. And they've also brought up Cody Clemens, um, who had, you know, an under-the-radar solid year um, in the Florida State League. Um, It wasn't particularly impressive considering his age and where he was drafted. But, you know, he was still an above-average hitter. Um, Still plays, you know, reasonably solid defense at second base. Um, And he's going to have to hit. You know, he's going to have to hit for more power. But he does have some plate discipline. 
does have good raw power and I wouldn't judge, you know, judge him much at all based on what goes on, you know, over the next two weeks with Erie. Um, next year, he's going to be with the Erie Seawolves all season. And I think that's really going to be the proving ground for Cody Clemens. And we should have a, a lot better idea of, of whether he really has a chance to be a starter in the majors at some point. Or if we're looking at a role player that you can, you know, kind of move up faster and, and just kind of try to find a niche where he can contribute a little bit at some point. So... Those guys are injured. Um, Nico Goodrum is out with a, a bit of a groin strain. Doesn't sound like anything too serious. Travis Demerit had something similar, but he played tonight. Um, so, you know, overall, it's been a rough season for injuries. It was right from the start with, you know, Matt Moore and Michael Fulmer going down with season-ending injuries right from the beginning. But that's also not terribly unusual in Major League Baseball. And we all kind of knew that, you know, the more optimistic projections... You know, that the Tigers might be able to win 70 games, um, you know, all depended on them being really healthy and still having that depth in starting pitching in Toledo. And instead, everyone's been either hurt or ineffective um, outside of, you know, Norris, Matt Boyd. Um, Spencer Turnbull's been banged up all year, too, and hasn't been particularly effective, um, you know, the, the past couple months either. So that's the way the cookie crumbles in baseball. But um, hopefully, you know, things break a little bit better next year. Um, but one way or the other, the Tigers are going to have an awful lot of, of options and an awful lot of decisions to make uh, about what they're going to do um, with with all these top pitching prospects and how they work out with the guys already on the Major League roster, with some of the guys at Toledo already. Um, and that's going to be pretty interesting. So that's going to be our next topic. We're going to take a little bit of a break. I'm going to talk about the possibility of a semi-Super bullpen next season for the Tigers. Um, we'll do that, and then we will kind of move on to hit on a couple couple players um, that I just want to do quick profiles on, and we'll wrap it up after that. So we've got a good ways to go still. Um, this is a good time to get yourself a drink, <laughs> take a little break, and we'll be right back to talk about some bullpen action. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking with me. Um, the next topic I want to get into here, as I said, is the Tigers have an opportunity, I think, in the fact that they've got so much pitching talent in the minor leagues, especially in the upper minors, and have also put together a bullpen that at least has some, some interesting arms in it, um, if still flawed. That I think there's there's a really interesting opportunity for the Tigers to in the way that they you know they might go about constructing the bullpen next year, um, and it, it's sort of been interesting to watch Ron Gardenhire and their pitching coach Rick Anderson forced to kind of use some of these guys in in short outings like the, like they're doing with Norris um, to wrap out the season, and forced to kind of piggyback starters and get a little bit more creative. I wish they were doing that sort of thing more as a, as a plan, um, as as a proactive. Like this is the way we're gonna, you know, try to use our pitching staff. Um, right now, it, it's it's kind of just a, you know a, a force of the the needs um, for the team right now. But I would hope that this will put the idea in their head because they could do some interesting things next year. Um, the Tigers have already used thirty one pitchers this season, which I think is the most in team history. If it's not, it's close. And they're going to have a whole host of guys next year who they're going to use options on. Um, these guys are going to be up and down from the minor leagues to the major leagues and back and forth all season long. 
And if you look at the bullpen that they have currently right now, you've got Joe Jimenez, who, you know, we all know needs to continue to improve. Um, you know, he's, he's got to find a more consistent breaking ball that's effective because he's forced way too often to pitch solely off his fastball. And while it's a damn good fastball, you know, with, with fantastic riding life, good extension, good velocity, that, you know, that's not enough for Araldus Chapman. It's definitely not enough, you know, for, for Joe Jimenez. So he's obviously got work to do, but you have Joe Jimenez, you've got Jose Cisnero, um, you've got Gregory Soto, both of those two guys throw really hard. Um, neither one of them really has a particularly good breaking ball, although Soto's kind of slurve has, has been more impressive this year um, and a little bit more consistent when I've seen him. Um, and I think, you know, Soto's starter experience um, and, and having a little bit more pedigree. Um, you know, Jose Cisnero, when he was with the Astros, you know, back in 2014, 2015, you know, was a guy that, that they liked and they thought could be, you know, a very good reliever, but has never really found, you know, a particularly good breaking ball. Um, and his command still kind of comes and goes, but you've got two really live arms there, at least. You've got Buck Farmer, um, and obviously some of these guys may not be back. The Tigers are going to have a lot of, you know, 40-man roster decisions to make, um, and we're going to have a lot of suggestions because there's an awful lot of guys who could be cut free from the 40-man roster, but we'll have to see. Um, you know, and they're using Nick Ramirez, Matt Hall, Drew Verhagen. You know, those guys could potentially have a role to play um, next season. You know, Drew Verhagen is a guy who will just tease you to death, you know. You'll see a couple outings from him and he'll, he'll look outstanding. You know, he's really improved his slider. He's still got a great fastball. But, you know, the command just, just is never there consistently. And, you know, he just he just doesn't seem to be a guy who can take to a bullpen role and come right in and be his best, you know, from the drop. You know, he's he's a guy who seems to need to work into an outing and really, you know, has had a tendency to to get hit hard early and then sort of settle in. And unless, you know, unless something radically changes, you know, I, I don't really expect Drew Verhagen to be a part of things next year, but the Tigers love him, and they've hung with him this long, and there's guys like Zach Reiniger, you know, plenty of others that, that could simply be cut loose. Um, you know, so, you know, he might have a role as well. We'll just have to see. Um, I think Nick Ramirez is particularly interesting because he basically did Blaine Hardy's job, um, for much of this year, you know, kind of filling in as the long man, you know, coming in, you know, to get lefties here and there, but also because he's, he's really got a, a pretty damn good changeup and that's really his best pitch. You know, he's been able to be pretty effective against right-handers. Um, so, it seems to me like he's going to have the inside track, um, at that sort of long man you know, spot starter type job next year, but we'll just have to see. Um, Matt Hall, you know, he and Tyler Alexander both are guys who, to my mind, have taken some, you know, surprising steps forward this year. You know, neither one, I'll be honest, like I, I probably saw, you know, a combined five innings from either of those two guys last season, um, you know, because, you know, there's just only so much time. I cover the major leagues. I cover the minor leagues. I'm trying to pay attention to other teams and other teams' farm systems and, you know, the top 150 prospects. There's just too much. Um, so, you know, if, if you're not, you know, a guy, um, a guy that we're, you know, interested in paying attention to, I'm not going to watch you. So both of those guys kind of came out, you know, this season and worked with Juan Nieves, the pitching coach with the Toledo Mudhens. And both of them have been kind of throwing a little bit more crossfire this year. And for Hall, it seems like it's given him a, just a bit more velocity. Um, instead of being 89-90, he's been a little bit more 90-92. to 92. 
um, and still has a you know a fantastic, really high, high RPM breaking ball. Um, he's a guy who, if his command could take another step forward and he was a little bit more pinpoint, and particularly if he could find himself a consistent changeup, is still a guy who could be really useful for you. Um, and maybe even, you know, as, as in some kind of a, you know, a back-end starter capacity. Um, and the same is true for Tyler Alexander. Tyler Alexander did the same thing, um, is throwing more across his body this year. Seems like he's lowered his arm angle just a little bit. And he in particular is a guy who I would like to just see, like, follow Matt Boyd around um, like a puppy. Like, you know, the rest of the season, I'd like, you know, I'd like him to go up to driveline baseball and, um, in Seattle with Matt Boyd in the offseason and basically try to become Matt Boyd because they're, you know, they're very similar, similar guys, um, similar arm angles, you know, similar, you know, issues, but both of them, you know, were guys that from the beginning had reasonably good fastball command and it was more a matter of like figuring out a way to, to sort of fine tune their arsenal. And Matt Boyd did a lot of the work on this, you know, lowering his arm slot from, you know, basically, um, you know, fairly high three quarters all the way down to that low three quarters slot he's got now. Um, you know, totally rebuilt his changeup prior to the 2018 season. I'm sorry, re totally rebuilt his slider um, into just a, you know, a monster slider. Just, you know, one of the better swing and miss weapons of any starter in baseball this season. And, you know, I think there's a lot Tyler Ale Alexander could learn by by hanging around Boyd. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, Tyler Alexander is going to, you know, gain a couple miles per hour of velocity and, you know, his his average-ish fringy slider that he's got right now is going to take another step forward uh, but that would be the the path I would prescribe to him but those are the guys you're working with and then they've added in David McKay who you know was a waiver claim right at the beginning of the month um, I wrote a really lengthy gift-filled piece for blessyouboys.com um, I believe it's called David McKay packs a killer curveball um, if you're interested in, in reading about that and haven't um, haven't or and just didn't see it when it came out, um, go check that out. You'll get a really good idea for his stuff if you haven't seen him. The Tigers have, I don't know if they've been taking my advice necessarily. Um, it, it just seemed like it was obvious that, you know, all these characterizations um, that you read about David McKay prior to coming to Detroit where he's, you know, a sinker guy with a curveball, um, you know, he doesn't seem to throw a sinker to me. And, you know, that may have just been a misnomer in the identification but if you look at how he, you know, they tried to have him use the fastball in Seattle, they, they had him pitching at the bottom of the zone a lot. And for a guy with a, you know, a 3,000 plus RPMs curveball that he can throw 12 to 6 and also really break it horizontally and get a ton of tilt on it, you know, the pitch that pairs well with that is a high fastball, a high four-seam riding fastball. And David McKay has a slightly above average spin rate. And he seems to have gained some velocity. I don't really see that the Tigers have done much different with his delivery. Um, he looks like he's getting a little more extension over the past couple weeks than if you look at a whole bunch of clips from earlier in the season of him with the with the Seattle Mariners. Um, he spent most of the year in the minor leagues, so there aren't there isn't that much footage in the major leagues of him. But um, but you can you know you can go through Statcast and look at you know basically every pitch he threw in the major leagues and get a clip of it. So, you know, feel free to knock yourself out there. I've done done my share of that already with him. But, um, but you know, they're using that, that four-seam fastball up, and, you know, he's throwing 94 to 96. You know, so far, he's, he's looked pretty damn good. Um, you know, he's still got, you know, some command issues. He'll still have a tendency to pull the ball um, to, the, to the glove side. Um, I've seen that from him. He tends to leave the fastball up 
which is, you know, one of the key reasons why I was really like immediately like, listen, you know, this guy's got to throw the four seamer and he's got to use it at the top of the zone a lot more than, than he seemed to with Seattle. Um, so far, you know, they, they've been, they've been kind of, um, you know, using him that way. And, you know, with guys with command issues that you can convert to relief, you know, the goal is always to improve a guy's command to where he can hit any part of the zone that you want. But the best teams, you know, the Astros, you know, are stand out in this regard, you know, above a lot of other teams. Um, so, you know, so do the Rays, um, the Yankees and the Dodgers, of course. These are all the teams that are doing all the cool things. Um, one of the things you'll see them do is really tailor a reliever's approach to their natural miss, um, to their natural tendencies. Like if a guy tends to miss up, they, you know, will try to set up you know, his sequencing to where he can pitch up in the zone and then pitch down with the breaking ball or away with the breaking ball. And you try not to fight, you know, the fact that if you, you know, if you're setting up, you know, for a guy like David McKay at the bottom of the zone all the time and his natural miss is either to pull it or to leave it up, you know, and obviously those are normal misses. That's, that's, you know, most pitchers miss up more so than like the throwing fastballs in the dirt, but, um, you know, you've got to find ways to tailor, you know, to which side of the plate is this guy more effective to and and kind of dial in, you know, that guy's like simplest, most efficient arsenal of the pitches that he can most consistently throw. Um, and teams have the data to be able to do that. You know, they, they know where the target is on each pitch and, you know, they can go back and look where does where does he miss? Like, you know, you can you can set up kind of a range for yourself of like this you know this is the hot zone that you know where the pitch is supposed to be this is this hot zone where you know the pitches actually end up and start working your way toward you know just using his natural tendencies um david mckay is a guy that that really struck me that way and so yeah it's been pleasing to see the tigers you know seemingly buying into that um that philosophy as well with him and we'll just see, you know, if he can take a step forward and, and show better command. Um, you know, he's a guy who had a you know, monster strikeout rights, rates throughout the the minor leagues and was a really damn good waiver pickup. Um, you know, we can we can kind of bitch and moan. And um, there was an article by Jules Posner for Forbes um, recently talking about all the all the possible waiver claims that the Tigers passed on. And there were one or two guys in there that I did like, but if you look through that list, you know, for the most part, those guys are garbage, and there, there was just no point in the Tigers even taking chances on them. Um, the fact that no one else claimed Luis Gohara, um, fairly hard-throwing lefty for the Braves, who's been injured, tells me that the, you know, the injury is, is a problem. Um, and, you know, teams are shying away from him. And then you look at Kevin Gossman, who could have given the Tigers, you know, some, some innings when, you know, they really need a starting pitcher right now. Um, and, and especially if they end up, you know, having to kind of shut Norris down, if they're, you know, concerned about anybody else's innings, you, you know, you don't know what Jordan Zimmerman's going to give you. Well, you know, it's not going to be good, but you don't know how many innings, whether or not he's going to stay healthy. You know, Gosman's a guy who maybe could have, could have helped them. But Kevin Gosman's also got, you know, I think five full seasons in the major leagues and has never really been very good at all. Um, and is also going to be owed a lot of money because he's heading into his final year of arbitration. And he's a guy that you wouldn't really want to pay in arbitration uh, based on, on his performance. So I don't really have too much of a problem with that. Um, picking up David McKay was a good move. I do wish the Tigers could have hung on to Trevor Rosenthal, and I would love to see the Tigers kind of revisit that next, you know, this offseason. You know, if the, if the offers aren't there for Trevor Rosenthal and you can outbid a few people, you know, and, and get him on a, on a, hopefully a two-year deal would be ideal to me, but 
um, but even a one-year deal. And we'll just have to see, you know, th there'll be other people available. Maybe there'll be, maybe there will be better options um, available this offseason. But I would like, one way or the other, the Tigers to find themselves one, you know, good veteran reliever who can kind of be the focal point leader of, of the staff. And all the better if they can get a guy with the potential that Trevor Rosenthal does, you know, still kind of working his way back from Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, you give that guy another offseason, and if he finds his command and, you know, isn't throwing it to the backstop every third pitch, um, you know, there, there's just a monster weapon there who would actually uh, be able to get more for you possibly in trade than even a year and a half control over Shane Green was able to get you. Um, and the Tigers, in my opinion, did reasonably well in that deal. But, um, but you know, it's it's just a different ball game when you've got Trevor Rosenthal throwing a nasty slider on top of, you know, hitting 99-100 and throwing it all around the edges of the zone. Um, when, when that guy's on, he's he's pretty damn hard to hit. So that's who they're working with now. Now you look down at the Toledo Mudhens bullpen. You know, you've got Eduardo Jimenez. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't really see a whole lot there. But they do have Brian Garcia, um, who is sort of your next your next Joe Jimenez, if you want to think about him this way. Uh, Brian Garcia was a was a closer in college for an SEC school. You know, did really well there. Had Tommy John surgery in 2018, and you know hasn't um, hasn't been lights out this season. But to my mind, has has been making progress um, as he's kind of gotten more reps and getting you know gotten further away from the surgery. He's a guy that the Tigers you know are really looking at to to be a late innings reliever for them. And he looks like he's about ready for his shot. Um, you might, I don't know, because he's still coming back from Tommy John and this is his first season, I'm not sure if the Tigers are going to let him throw all the way into September. But if they do, he's a guy that you could end up um, seeing getting a look um, in Detroit. So you've got him. Um, you got John Schreiber, who, you know, is kind of fringy, um, kind of more of a command and, and deception guy. But you know, has some potential. Um, he's definitely like a, a, a favorite among Tigers prospect watchers, not because his potential is particularly high, but because, you know, he's got that low, almost sidearm arm slot um, and, you know, a great personality. He's just, he's just a guy who's endeared himself to a lot of the fan base all along in the minor leagues and people would like to see him, him get a shot. Um, and then, you know, you go down further, you've got Angel DeJesus, you've got, you know, Vladimir Pinto, who might, um, who's a really hard thrower, who still needs work with his breaking ball and with his command as well, but is is young and could take a take a step and has the kind of you know dynamic fastball that you would look for in a in a good late in, innings reliever. So there's all those guys, and then you look at the fact that unless something changes this offseason, you've got Matt Boyd, Jordan Zimmerman, Daniel Norris, Spencer Turnbull. Um, those four guys are going to be your rotation to start with, and I could see the Tigers potentially signing another, you know, another kind of veteran starter on a one-year deal to sort of get them to the point where, you know, Casey Mize is ready to come up or, you know, or if it doesn't work out in that regard, you know, until later in the season, be a guy who can come up and, and get you to where Michael Fulmer comes back. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do with Michael Fulmer. They may end up using him in relief um, to start with when he comes back. Or they might use him as a starter, you know, right from the beginning and just try to kind of limit his workload um, as a starter, but but keep working him back that way. But what that does is tell you that you now you've got Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Alex Fajardo, Anthony Castro. All five of those guys in the Erie Seawolves rotation all should be starting in Toledo next year. And then you've got Kyle Funkhauser, 
and you've got Bo Burrows, and you don't know what you're doing exactly with Tyler Alexander, who you know has been a starter um, throughout his minor league career. There's going to be a ton of decisions to make there, and I think if the Tigers, you know, play it the right way, and obviously, you know, you're going to have attrition too. Like, you know, don't expect to literally have every name that I mentioned all pitching well and, and healthy um, next spring. It won't work that way, of course. And a lot of times, these decisions get made for you, which is why we don't tend to pour over them too much. Um, until late in the off season, but you know you've got those five starters all coming to Toledo. You've got Kyle Funkhauser, you've got Bo Burrows, you've got Tyler Alexander there. Um, you've got a couple of relievers at least, you know Brian Garcia and maybe Schreiber um, Pinto, who are you know who are basically ready to go um, as relievers in the major leagues. And it's going to be just really interesting to see how the Tigers decide to shake that out. Um, most of us, you know, thought all along that Gregory Soto would end up being a reliever. Um, there was some frustration that the Tigers didn't just convert him to a reliever because he's already, I think, 25. And, you know, the longer you you wait with guys in the minor leagues when they, you know, trying to make him a starter, when, you know, they could theoretically be useful to you immediately as a relief pitcher in the major leagues, you know, you've got to make those moves unless you're dealing with an absolute, you know, legend of a prospect, you know, like our like our top couple guys. And the Tigers kind of took their time there, but since, you know, Gregory Soto's been in the bullpen, he's looked pretty impressive, and if he can take a step forward with his command, you've got yourself a, a lefty, you know, a long-arm slinger who has some deception and throws 97, 98 a lot of the time um, in relief. And there's some other guys, you know, Anthony Castro in particular is the one of the five starters at Erie right now who we kind of all thought, you know, would, would eventually become a reliever as well. He's a guy who had Tommy John surgery back in, I think, 2015, um, and he's already 24, 25, and, you know, going to be on the 40-man roster um, next year because he's close enough where a team could claim him and make him a reliever, and he's a guy who can throw 98 as well with cutting action on his four-seamer um, and, you know, has a decent changeup and has really, really come on strong with the slider this year and is just punching guys out left and right. Um you know, he's a guy, I believe he's 6'1", 180 pounds, has a really long, like, rhythm-based delivery, um, really, really beautiful motion, but by the same token, not the kind of motion that you associate with a durable power pitcher with great command, and as a result, you know, he's a guy who I think most of us have thought would make a better reliever than a starter, and because of his injury history, and because, you know, you're, you know when you have a Tommy John surgery, you're usually kind of on the clock for the next one. Um, you know, you hope to get seven to ten years before something like that happens. And so I'm not, you know, not predicting doom for Anthony Castro, but it is time to start getting something out of him. Um, he's he's old enough, and there really isn't going to be, you know, the, the role as a starter at Toledo for him, I don't think, next season. So he's a guy that you might be able to add into that mix as well. And if the Tigers get creative and decide to use, you know, that those fourth and fifth starter spots in interesting ways, they sh they're going to have the ability to piggyback some of these guys who've been starters who you want to convert to relief and work them into the major leagues that way, which I think is a great way to break into the major leagues. Um, and I know that Ron Gardenhire and, and Rick Anderson both feel similarly. Um, they both talked about how they like to introduce, you know, young pitchers to the pressure of the major leagues in, in small, intense doses. You know, they like to put them in in relief, um, you know, in, in tight situations and see how they handle it and kind of get them acclimated that way before, you know, they start asking them to start and go six innings. You know, rare, you know, the top pitching prospects, you know, Mize Manning, Scooble, 
you're not going to do that with. Um, those guys are starting pitchers at this point. Scooble, you know, still has has some concerns as far as you know, just proving out that that he's going to be able to be a durable starting pitcher for you who can eat a lot of innings. Um, the Tigers have been relatively careful um, with his pitch counts this year. Like they haven't let him go more than five innings very many times. Um, and a lot of, a lot of those outings, you know, he's still managing to strike out, you know, 10 or more batters, um, which has been kind of ridiculous to watch him. But, um, he's a guy maybe you could consider kind of, kind of working in that way as well as sort of a, you know, a, a once through the order type starter or, you know, piggyback starter and, and kind of breaking in. Um, they're not going to do that with Miser Manning, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, there, there's just a lot of options there. And once, you know, the Tigers get their 40-man roster sorted out this offseason, which is going to be a bear, um, and w- which will be something that we talk a lot about probably in September and October, you know, they're going to have a lot of guys that they're already going to be committed to using an option on um, in, in 2020. And once you've made that commitment, you know, go ahead and plan for it. You know, go ahead and expect, you know, that you're going to use these guys as piggyback starters here and there. But, you know, you're also going to have to, you know, swap them in to Toledo and bring someone else up. You're going to have to, you know, kind of kind of have a bit of a rotation that way to make something like that work for the most part. And, you know, the, the possibility is there that, you know, this this is probably the best group of arms I've ever seen available to the Tigers for, for bullpen usage. Um, that's, that's kind of what we're looking at heading into next year. And a lot of them are still raw. Um, you know, you don't have that those one or two back-end guys who have the command and the presence and the experience to hold the whole thing together, which is a problem because a lot of these guys are, are going to struggle. Um, they're, they're still going to be learning. Um, the stuff is impressive, but if you're not commanding it, it's not that helpful. So you're going to have issues, um, certainly. But it, in in terms of pure arms and, like, the stuff these guys have, it's, it's a pretty impressive group of arms. Um, you know, you go back to 2012 and the Tigers had, you know, a couple really good relievers. But if you looked, you know, anywhere else, you know, in the back end of the bullpen and all the way down through the minor leagues, there was, you know, essentially nothing left. You know, there was maybe one guy, you know, whether it was Bruce Rondon or whether it was Joe Jimenez a couple years ago, we were looking at that as like the only real, you know, hard throwing, like, you know, power stuff type guy that you that you had hopes for. Um, there's a lot of those guys right now. And it'll be really interesting to see how the Tigers decide to shake that out. But the potential, I think, is there uh, to build a pretty pretty damn good bullpen and maybe even fill in your fifth starter spot by, you know, working some of these guys in in different roles. You know, Kyle Funkhauser and Bo Burrows have had injury issues this year. So maybe you, you know, you start them out in the major leagues pitching three or four innings and, it, you know, assuming they're healthy and, and doing all right next spring and start working them in slowly and not asking them to go through an order, you know, two or, two or three times. You just get through once or, you know, once you get through three, four innings, um, whatever it is, and then you get to go back to Toledo and go back on your, your regular turn um, as a starter there. And then maybe, you know, three weeks later when the rotation comes around again, you get your shot again. Um, they could do some things like that. So it'll be really interesting to see how they how they set that up um, heading into next season. And that'll be a topic that we end up talking about quite a bit in the offseason, I'm sure. So I've got... Four players I want to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about Isaac Paredes, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Travis Demerit, and then I just kind of want to hit on um, Joey Wentz in particular. Um, we'll talk about him a little bit in relationship to Tarek Skubal, um, but yeah, we're going to talk about Isaac Paredes because I have an argument that I still think Isaac Paredes is is being kind of oddly underrated by um, a lot of national prospect sites, 
and I'm going to make that pitch to you and then talk about a couple other guys and then we'll get out of here. So let's take another real short break for a commercial and I'll be back in just a moment. All right, we're back. One final segment here. Um, as I said, I, I want to kind of make an argument about um, Isaac Paredes because I am still seeing him, you know, being relatively undervalued um, in a lot of places. You know, not not badly undervalued, but but just slightly. And some of the concerns um, I've seen about him haven't really haven't really rang true. Um, having watched Isaac Paredes play a lot of baseball at this point. So I'm going to talk about him, but before we get there, let's real quick talk about the return from the Shane Green trade. Um, you know, obviously Shane Green's first couple outings with the Braves went terribly. He blew a couple saves, got demoted um, to basically the eighth inning guy, and has been pitching better since. Um, you know, what what the Atlanta Braves get out of Shane Green the rest of this season and next season, you know, is basically irrelevant at this point. But I think I feel fairly confident still, um, and especially now that we've seen Wentz, uh, Joey Wentz pitch a couple times for the Erie Seawolves, that the Tigers did pretty darn well in that deal. Um, I still would have liked to to pick up Alex Jackson, the, you know, kind of a low-tier catcher with, with a lot of raw power, um, who was a really low, you know, ranked prospect, but a guy that I thought would be an interesting addition to, to a deal like that, but whatever, you know, we're not going to quibble about, you know, the, the throw-in you know, 26th prospect in the, the Brave system that we didn't get. So far, Joey Wentz and, and Travis Demerit have, have been quite good. Um, it's way too early to go judging them, you know, by their numbers. Um, but, you know, tra- Travis Demerit's played 18 games at this point in the major leagues for the Tigers. Um and the thing I think that, that stands out most so far, you know, we knew that he is he's a toolsy type player. You know, he's got some raw power. Um, he's got good bat speed. And I should point out, um, because people are always people are always asking me about this, you know, but I just want to make the point that bat speed, when you think about it in terms of, of prospects and the way scouts talk about it, think of bat speed as acceleration. Um, it, it's not it's not the same thing as power or like how fast you can move the bat, you know, the maximum speed. You know, the way, you know, Aaron Judge can move the bat 115 to 120 miles per hour um, and hit these massive bombs. It's about how fast you can go kind of from zero to 60 uh, because that gives the faster that you can accelerate to your, you know, in your A swing to your best velocity through the hitting zone, the more time you have to identify the pitch and the, and the direction of the pitch. That's basically what that means. So if you're ever confused about why, you know, Someone might say that, you know, like Ulrich Boyarski, um, you know, a guy who has, you know, fairly massive raw power, like a big physical specimen, why people will say that guy doesn't have very good bat speed. It's because he can't get to that speed fast enough um, to handle, you know, high velocity major league pitching and still adjust to off speed breaking balls. Um, it's it's just a distinction that, that scouts make in terms of, of looking at a player's tools. Um I think sometimes people still think that the ball, you know, rebounds off the bat and that like a hundred mile per hour fastball goes farther. Um, that's really not, I mean, it's just like the, the slightest amount true. Um, and you can prove that to yourself just by watching, you know, guys hit off a tee, 
um, or, or in batting practice where guys are, you know, taking 65 mile per hour fastballs and hitting them 450 feet. You know, the, basically it's all the hitter. Um, it, the velocity from the pitcher coming in, the ball doesn't have that much rebound um, off of it. When we talk about, you know, like the juiced ball, it's much more about the fact that the seams are tighter on the ball, seemingly. That seems to be the the, the real kernel of the, of the issue. And as a result, there's just less drag on it. And so, you know, the backspin, when you hit a fly ball, is just, you know, just gliding the ball out of the park more often. Um, but to digress, um, that, that all comes back to, you know, Travis Merritt having pretty good bat speed. And where, and where I think he's been, you know, particularly noticeable so far, you know, his defense has been fine. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to be, you know, an average or better outfielder, but he looks, looks you know, competent out there. He's certainly got the speed and enough arm strength to play right field, um, could certainly play left field as well, and he's got some speed on the base pass. But the key with him is is the plate discipline and the bat speed, and I think that's what we've seen. Um, there's sort of two different ways to look at a guy who, who can draw walks, and drawing walks as, you know, will continue to just pound into everybody's head is a key key function, maybe more so than almost anything else in the minor leagues of, of a guy's potential to hit major league pitching. And there's sort of two ways, you know, if you think of like Alex Avila's style plate discipline, Alex Avila would never offer it anything outside of the zone. Um, you know, he, he, and he wouldn't even offer early in counts in the zone if it wasn't in his sweet spot. And that's a different type of discipline to where you're just looking for that, you know, that one pitch. Alex Avila had a great eye and he wasn't going to swing, you know, no matter what. But Alex Avila wasn't the type of guy who, if you were pouring in nasty breaking balls and, you know, high-velocity fastballs, you know, through the zone, who was going to be able to follow off a whole bunch of pitches and prolong it at bat and, you know, and really kind of see everything you've got and force a pitcher to make a mistake. Um, it was more the kind of discipline where, you know, he would just, you know, Alex Avila would just make make you make a mistake or he would take the strikeout or, or the walk, you know, a very, like, strong three-true-outcomes approach because he did have a lot of raw power, obviously, as well. Travis Demerit, um, we've seen, you know, get into some tough counts against against good pitchers already, and you know, fight off a bunch of pitches, um, and then draw a walk. And we've also seen him fight off some tough pitches and hit a home run. And we've seen him fight off some tough pitches, and then you know, just flick a ball to right field for a single. Um, you know, we've also seen him jump some pitchers occasionally early in counts. And he seems to have an idea, um, and, I, and I think that's that's the key thing I've really liked about him so far, is he seems to have an idea what he's doing. He seems to be thinking along with the pitchers and understanding kind of how they're trying to set him up and what they're trying to do to him. And, you know, has the bat speed and control to, you know, at least spoil some of those pitches and do some damage. Um, and that all bodes really well for him. I don't really know that I, th- I think Travis Demerit is, is a starter. Like, I still kind of look at him as sort of like Nico Goodrum. You know, like a, a player who is versatile. Travis Demerit played, you know, some infield early in, early in his in his minor league career. Um, hasn't been an outfielder all that long, but he has been out there a couple years now. But he's he's versatile, and you know, he's got enough speed to steal you twenty bases if he plays full time, and he's obviously got the power to hit twenty home runs. Um, and if he could do all those things and play solid defense in the outfield, you've got yourself a pretty pretty nice starting player. You know, maybe like a three war. Type, type player, um, an above average major league regular, um, not a, a really good player, certainly not, you know, a star or an elite type player, but, you know, someone who, you know, could be a part of the future for the Tigers in, a, in an everyday capacity. And so that's been really encouraging. 
And then you look at Joey Wentz, and, you know, I think a lot of people were, you know, I don't know if it was just, you know, the grading or the rankings that, that Joey Wentz had on him, um, or the fact that if you looked at, you know, the Brave system, he was probably their their fourth, you know, best starting pitching prospect still. But, you know, Joey Wentz has has some game, folks. Joey Wentz is 6'5", and I believe he's listed at 230 pounds and is still only 21 years old. Um, had a few, you know, injuries last season. Um, had an oblique injury that cost him some time. So, you know, he, he's lost a little bit of development time. So even as a 21-year-old, he's sort of like Matt Manning in that, that he, he doesn't have quite as much time as you would think a player of that age would have. And obviously 21 is still pretty damn young to be good in, in the Eastern League. Um, you know, you see college players come out 21 to 22 years old, and they're not, you know, they're not really ready for that league at all um, until they're 24 or maybe 25 even. Um, and those are, you know, solid pitching prospects for the most that I'm talking about, not just, you know, your, your kind of back end, like, oh, this guy's a 35-40. Um, so, you know, Joey Wentz, I think, still has, you know, some projection to him. Um, in terms of his velocity, and, you know, it would be nice if he was out there throwing 94, 95 instead of, you know, 90, 92, 93 maybe, Um, but, you know, there's still some potential for that velocity to come, I think, and especially when you consider his size, and the thing that makes Joey Wentz really interesting is that he has a plus changeup already, and he throws from that really high arm slot, um, that I've kind of referenced a couple different times, and I'm actually working slowly on, on an article about him and Tarek Skubal um, because both of them kind of have that same that same sort of angle. Um, there was an article in Fangraphs maybe a month ago. Um, I think it was by Eric Longenhagen, but he was kind of talking about you know who is the next Clayton Kershaw, and not so much in terms of who is going to be great, but in terms of who you know who in the minor leagues kind of had that similar style um, as a left-hander with the high arm slot, breaking ball, um, change up, kind of all out of that high tunnel. Um, and Joey Wentz and, uh, I didn't notice Joey Wentz was on that when I actually read it because it was before we'd even, um, we'd even picked him up, but I did notice Tarek Skubal was. And Joey Wentz ha- kind of has the same thing going on. And when you throw from that really high arm slot, because you're throwing straight onto the plate, there's less of an extra angle in the background to sort of judge velocity against because the pitch is kind of coming straight down, you know, from this high angle to you. And when you throw from that straight arm slot, your 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 forearm is vertical um, as you come through your release. And you tend to pull down after release through the ball straight down, you know, the same target path more so than, you know, a guy in a normal three-quarter arm slot like Justin Verlander where when he releases it, you know, his arm whips across his body, and that's sort of the deceleration phase, and his right hand, you know, slaps into, say, his left hip pocket. Um, you know, these guys are kind of throwing, the, you know, their arm is working straight through and down, um, and it makes it harder to read where the ball has been released a little bit, because you don't see the ball until late, and then it's coming out at you, and the pitcher's hand is still in position and still moving down that same eye line that you're that you're looking at the ball in, um, and all those things can provide a, a quite a bit of deception. And if you've got the changeup um, to back that up, and Joey Wentz does, that's a pretty dynamic combination. So, you know, there's there's just quite a bit to like there. You know, I I still think Joey Wentz babies his breaking ball in there. I don't think it's it's particularly good. Like I haven't really seen an above average breaking ball from him at all. Um, but you know, there's still time to kind of tweak things and work on, work on grips and 
you know, get yourself some pitch design sessions in the off season and try to find the optimal optimal movement on the pitch and, you know, and, and work on the grip and release. And he's still young enough where, you know, this isn't like a, a pie in the sky thing where you're asking a guy who's, you know, already, you know, a veteran player to completely, you know, develop a new pitch. Um, you know, those things do happen um, even for veteran players, but it's not as often. But for a guy who's 21, you know, he's still, you know, just getting his feel and, and learning how to play with the ball, how to manipulate it. And Joey Wentz shows some pretty good feel. You know, he can he can take something off the fastball. Uh, he can blow it up, you know, to 93 right now, maybe even 94. Um, it's hard to tell sometimes watching games in the minor leagues whether or not you should trust the radar gun. But um, but And he's got some riding action as well. And the other thing about that arm spot, that arm slot, is that it produces that true spin fastball that, say, like, to, to put it in a right-hander's context that, like, Mike Fires has where he doesn't necessarily spin the ball even to an above-average level. He doesn't throw hard, but you don't see the ball until late because he's slinging it straight over the top at you. And the spin, if you look at the ball, you know, if you imagine for yourself the ball facing the plate, it's basically, you know, he's pulling down at 180 degrees or 6 o'clock, like right straight through the bottom of the ball. And that produces, you know, a lot of efficient, ride spin where you know you've got that vertical action and the and the ball just doesn't drop the way hitters think it will and joey wentz has that going on and so does tarek skubal and joey wentz has that you know that change up that can play off that extremely well um where you know you've swung right under you know two fastballs that he painted on you at the top of the zone and that you barely even saw um, and then, you know, the next one comes out and all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's mid eighties or even low eighties. Um, I've seen him, you know, 83, eight to 86. It looks like to me so far with the changeup, that's, um, that's a pretty damn good combination. And so I, I like Joey Wentz. I think there's more potential there than, than some people thought there, there were. He, it's just that when you're watching him, it's much more about, you know, speed and the deception of his delivery, um, the type of spin that he can put on the fastball and the changeup. And he doesn't have that flashy breaking ball that that sort of or the velocity that sort of you know pops off the charts to to scouts, and maybe that's why he's you know a little bit undervalued. Um, you know he he's a 45 future value starting pitcher right now, but he's not that far from a 50. Like I'd give him a plus and maybe even you know you could even you know possibly see him as a 50 um, if if you have some faith that he's going to be able to hone just a, a little bit better breaking ball and and you know just keep improving his command the way you would hope for a pitcher his age. So, you know, that's a pretty good get, you know. I mean, Shane Green was probably the best relief pitcher, you know, traded at the deadline or, or at least right in that top tier. But when you look around at what other teams got for, for guys like that, I think the Tigers did really well here. Um, I think they, they did just fine. And, you know, I can't tell you Joey Wentz is going to work out, that he's going to be a, a mid-rotation, you know, durable starter. But the potential for that is there. And so if you, you know, you saw him kind of poo-pooed in a few, you know, scouting reports or, you know, you just weren't very impressed with his grades or, you know, whatever, whatever it was, I think you can put those concerns behind. You know, the Tigers did pretty well to get Joey Wentz. And I think it's interesting to note that they've got him and Tarek Skubal both um, with that same style arm slot. And, you know, you just wonder if that's something that the whether or not that just fell into the Tigers' lap. Um, or whether or not that's something that they're actively targeting now. And, you know, they saw Mike Fires and how, you know, how that true spin straight over the top fastball can work for you. Um, Franklin Perez, who unfortunately has been banged up for forever um, and who 
Al Avila had some quotes about today, um, and, and which didn't didn't seem terribly encouraging, to be honest. Um, but we'll leave that for another time. But you know, Franklin Perez kind of had the same thing going on. Justin Wilson, um, left-handed reliever who we traded for Isaac Prades a couple seasons ago, um, another guy who had a really really good riding fastball with um, with really good spin efficiency in terms of having vertical movement on the pitch. Um, so they've seen some guys like that, and maybe you know maybe that's something that they've identified that they that they like. Um, you know, we can bend ourselves over backwards sometimes trying to, trying to ask ourselves, like, what are the Tigers profiling here? Like, what, what profiles did they like for pitchers? You know, when, when Matt Manning started throwing a split change and the Tigers had Sandy Baez, who was recently released, by the way, um, you know, throwing that splitter, you know, people kind of came onto that, like, oh, you know, Tigers are really in on, you know, guys who can throw a splitter right now. Um, they like that, you know, that straight diving split-fingered fastball, um, you know, maybe, or maybe they, they just picked, you know, th- those were just the best guys in that situation, or that's the best pitch that, you know, felt comfortable to Manning, whatever it is. Um, you know, these things can get overwrought. It's, it's like when, you know, the, obviously the classic canard is when people talk about, oh, the Tigers, you know, love these hard-throwing right-handers, you know, from the SEC. Well, you know, everybody likes hard-throwing right-handers from the SEC because that's what, you know, most major league pitchers, you know, are. <laughs> that's that's where most you know, most of those pitchers come from. Uh, well, not necessarily the SEC, but just in general, you know, hard-throwing right-hander isn't isn't a profile. Um, more specifically is, you know, a guy who has this particular type of fastball, this, this type of arm slot. Um, you know, we looked at, you know, the fact that they ha- had taken John Schreiber and then when they traded Mike Fires to the Oakland A's, they got Nolan, Nolan Blackwood, who is similarly like almost a side armor. You know, is that because the Tigers really, somebody in the Tigers system got super excited about having some side armors or was that just the guy that they liked best out of the people who were offered? Um, we're probably never going to know. But one way or the other, um, it's nice to have that diverse mix of, of types of pitchers and styles. And it's nice to have some of those, you know, some of those lefties with that high arm slot because, you know, obviously, you know, that's worked for Clayton Kershaw. Um, you know, that's worked for Sandy Koufax. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of the origin of the term the invisible is, um, you know, it's Sandy Koufax's fastball from that high arm slot where, you know, he kept his elbow toward you until late and, and had that late snapping release straight down to you. And guys would, you know, constantly say like, you know, I just, I just couldn't even see it until it was in the zone. You know, it was, it was by me before I even, you know, had picked it up and, you know, we'll see if, um, see if our two guys can kind of, you know, mimic some of those characteristics. I don't expect either one of them to be Clayton Kershaw. That would be asking a ludicrous amount, even for Casey Mize or Matt Manning. But, um, but in terms of style, um, yeah. That, that's kind of how those guys profile, and it's sort of interesting that we have them both going at the same time in the same rotation. Um, people in Erie who are watching the Seawolves have, have had a really, really, really good dose of awesome starting pitching to watch this season. All right. To wrap this up, I just want to talk about Isaac Prades because you still see, you know, everywhere you go, Isaac Prades still kind of gets, to my mind, a little bit of a shaft <laughs> for a guy who is only 20 years old absolutely wrecked the Florida State League as a teenager last year in a way that, you know, really only a couple of, of prospects ever have, ever have. Um, and you look at what he's done this year, in 493 plate appearances coming in tonight, um, when he had six hits apparently tonight, um, I haven't gotten around to recapping those games or, or checking them out, so all these numbers are only going to go up for him, but he's rocking a 10.3 walk rate 
an 11% strikeout rate, so he's striking out just slightly more than he's walking, which is awesome um, for a hitter his age, especially a guy who has power. Um, he's got a 131 WRC plus coming into um, Wednesday in the Eastern League, and that's at age 20. Now, yeah, he doesn't have a ton of home runs. Um, he only had 11 coming into tonight, but the other thing about Isaac Parady is that I think has been lost um, is that you know the Tigers don't necessarily develop guys the way some other teams do, and a lot of times we've you know we've kind of dogged them for this because Lloyd McClemens still talks about you know you've got to hit down on the ball to get backspin to hit it out. Um, you know, all these things that have been sort of, you know, pretty conclusively proven wrong um, from Ted Williams all the way till now that you have to swing on an upswing and match the plane of the falling pitch from the mound. Um, and even even the best riding fastball is falling toward the plate. You know, there's there's nobody who has like an actual like wiffle ball type motion where the pitch actually moves upward. Um, it's all about, you know, how far how far it's falling in relation to gravity. So if you see like a guy has you know 10 inches of vertical movement, that doesn't mean it's rising um, 12 inches, you know, from where you know where he the line that he released it on. It means that in relation to gravity, the pitch is ending up 12 inches higher than you would expect because it has enough backspin to hold it up. And conversely, you know, if you're throwing a sinker, you want as little spin as possible because you want gravity to just take that ball and drop it. And most of the spin you want on it is side spin so that it, it tails to your arm side. Um, but yeah, you know, Isaac Prady has done nothing but wreck, wreck shop this year. And I think sometimes, you know, people look at the Tigers and think like, yeah, you know, this guy isn't hitting that many home runs. And so, you know, what, what's going on? Are they teaching him the wrong things? But what the Tigers have had him do, and this seems pretty pretty clear based on watching him and, and based on the numbers, is they've been trying to have him, you know, use the whole field more. Um, in 2018, he had almost a 60% pull rate. And, you know, that's fine because, you know, Pulling balls in the air is where your power is for the most part, but you've got to be able to go to all fields too to be a complete, you know, well-rounded hitter. Um, you've got to, you know, and to make yourself harder to pitch and harder to just sequence and set up um, by good pitchers. And early in the year, like all the reports and from what I saw as well, watching a lot of Erie Seawolves games, Isaac Prades was trying to let the ball travel a little bit and take pitches to right field, and that just seemed like something that the Tigers had him working on. Um, and obviously, you know, if, if that's what you're focused on and you're working on that to some degree and doing some of the other things the Tigers like to do where, you know, they like guys to, you know, fake bunt first pitch and, and you know, play with the infield and try to get them out of position and, and thinking, overthinking what you might be doing, all those sorts of things um, that, you know, to a lot of people would be best left, um, you know, saved until a guy could actually hit. And then you would kind of try to work on some of those things. The Tigers have really, you know, are really, you know, trying to teach that sort of small ball approach at the same time as they're trying to bring these guys along as as regular major league hitters. And then maybe that just throws some evaluators because it is just different from what a lot of teams are trying to do, where they're trying to maximize, you know, hard contact in the air um, from the very beginning with these guys and you know maximize their value to either trade them or you know because you just have, you need to hit a lot of home runs um, to, to stick in the major leagues unless you're just a genius defender at a key position um, at this point in time. But we never know if the ball might change, and it would be interesting to see um, you know, if the ball is adjusted so that it isn't flying quite so far, um, how many of those type of hitters you know, actually just completely fall apart and become guys who hit you know, 200 because they're hitting a lot of routine and deep fly balls that are caught and you know, their home run totals crater, 
you know, pitchers, you know, pitchers aren't scared of them. They stop walking them as much. And some of those guys' profiles might just fall apart. But we have no idea if that's going to happen. Uh, the Tigers are proceeding, you know, as though, you know, that ball doesn't have anything to do with things. And they're, they're not going to worry about it until guys get to the upper levels, until they're, you know, in Toledo, uh, particularly, where they're using the major league ball. But, you know, Isaac Paredes has, has done all these things. Um, he dropped his pull percentage this season by 11% to 48%, and most of those gains were going to the opposite field. And right there, you know, is where some of that, you know, some of that home run power hasn't shown up. It doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that he was specifically working on something that, you know, typically isn't going to allow him to produce as much power as, as you would hope for a guy who has that kind of, you know, raw bat speed and, you know, good eye, good hands. Um, you know, Isaac Prades is a damn good hitter, folks. Um, to, to have, you know, a, ba- a perfect balance basically between your strikeout and walk rate at that age in the Eastern League and to still, you know, pack, you know, future 60 power, I would I would still say. I still think Isaac Prades is a guy who's going to hit 25, 30 home runs for you in the major leagues. And he's much more like a safer bet to do that than a lot of other guys because that, that strikeout to walk profile is so strong. Um, you know, he's not perfect. He's still got work to do. Um, I understand why, you know, teams aren't looking at him like, you know, or prospect writers aren't looking at him like he's, you know, Wander Franco or something like that. But, you know, Isaac Prady's can be fooled, but for a 20 year old, he's hard to fool. And even when he is fooled, a lot of times he's able to spoil your pitch or at least put the bat, bat on it and hit it hard somewhere. Um, so there's a lot to like there. Um, and you know, you see, let me take a quick look. I just want to, just for one example, let's just look at fan graphs and see where they've got him. Because I think he's crept onto the, the top 100 in their on their board. Um, but one way or the other, he's a, you know, a 50 future value prospect, which is essentially what, you know, like say Jamer Candelario was um, as, as a comp. Yeah, and then, you know, right now, yeah, fan graphs has him 98th. Um, and that's okay, but I still think, you know, for a 20-year-old um, to be doing what he's doing is, is much more impressive than a lot of the guys that you'll see kind of ranked above him. Um, and I think everybody should should be maybe more excited than they are about Isaac Prades. You know, I've, I've got him right now as the Tigers' fourth best prospect after Mize, Manning, and Green. Um, some of the concerns that you hear about his defense just seem like they come from people who haven't seen him play. Um, Isaac Prades is a a very, very sound defender. Um, you know, he doesn't have the foot speed and, and the, the first step to cover the kind of ground that, that generally you would want in a shortstop or a second baseman. But he has really good hands, and he has a really strong, accurate throwing arm. Um, and that's all you need to play third base. Um, you no know, one expects you to, you know, be ranging 20 feet to your left um, necessarily. You know, the other thing, too, is if you watch, you know, Paredes come in on a bunt, you know, there's a there's a lot more athleticism there than I think um, some people think when they sort of look at the body type and the fact that he's already, you know, probably kind of maxed out his physical projection. He's a he's a, a thick fire plug of a man, um, even at 20 years old. But um, you know, he's got feel too. Um, he, you know, he's got pretty good ability to control his body. You know, making kind of an awkward play and still throw on target. So, you know, some of these like kind of goofy suggestions that that prospect writers have passed along where you know scouts suggested that maybe the tigers would have to make him a catcher and all this sort of things i mean i I just i don't understand what people are even looking at um 
in this day and age, when you, you look at the way teams are shifting and you look at how many, how fewer balls are in play because there's so many more strikeouts, um, I still think you can float Isaac Prades at shortstop. And I would like to see the Tigers continue to dangle that prospect in front of him and, and hopefully get him to get a little bit leaner and quicker perhaps this, this offseason because I would still play him at shortstop, guys. Um, you know, Willie Castro, to me, you know, looks like he would be fine at, at shortstop. Um, still needs, you know, work like mentally on just, uh, you know, focusing and not, you know, kind of making these, these kind of casual errors that he'll sometimes make for, you know, at Toledo. But um, Isaac Prady's at shortstop is is going to give you that guy that you need, um, that that guy who can hit 30 home runs and be on base consistently, and not hurt you defensively. And if the Tigers are good at shifting and they're bringing up all this pitching, you know the way they're they're planning on and supposed to, you should be able to make a player like Isaac Prady's work at shortstop the same way that Johnny Peralta worked at shortstop. Um, you know, there are just less chances. There are less balls in play. You know, some people talk about Isaac Prady's at second base. I, I hate that because I don't like the idea of him, you know, having to pivot and turn to throw to first base because he is still, you know, a fairly, fairly thick individual for a middle infielder. Um, I would like him to be facing, you know, first base, playing on the left side of the infield one way or the other. Um, and that's where, you know, his arm strength and accuracy comes into play best as well. Uh, he's not the guy I want, you know, twinkle toeing it around second base, taking taking throws, you know, and or playing, you know, in shallow right field for shifts, um, you know, having to cover first base on bunt plays, all that all that sort of extra stuff that comes in when you're a second baseman doesn't really suit him, in my opinion. Um, I, I like a little bit more of a nimble, quick guy at, at second base. Um, it's kind of become a position where teams will put a lesser a lesser defender and and just you know who can hit for power and just take the power and the offensive production um for me i would still prefer to have a better defender there and maybe that's i'm just partial there a little bit from having seen you know ian kinsler play genius defense there for for quite a few years in a row um and having grown up with lou whitaker um as one of my heroes so i don't know i might be a little biased there but in terms of actual skills isaac prady's makes much more sense to me at shortstop than he does at second base. Like it's not even close. Like I don't, e- I don't really know why anyone would, would even think um, to move Isaac Prady's to second base, play him at shortstop. If you don't think he can do that, um, you know, you don't think that the range is good enough for you. Fine. You know, move him to third base. Um, that That's where he slots in well. And he should out hit, you know, Jamer Candelario, um, who is still unfortunately struggling to put it together and who could also play first base for you um, if he does get it together? Fine, move Jamie Candelario to first base. There's your first baseman. You got two guys with great hands and good arms at the corners. You know that can work out just fine for you as well. But um, but the general point is just that you know I, I just see too many people leaning on these kind of these subtle digs at Isaac Paredes' defense or the fact that he hasn't hasn't hit enough home runs. And using it to sort of like, ah, eh, you know, yeah, you know, he might be a, a decent player, you know, he, he should be a solid hitter, all those sorts of things. Whereas when I look at him and his age and what he's doing in the Eastern League this year and the fact that he's, you know, he's gotten stronger as the year has gone on and has really just been on an absolute tear over the past six weeks, um, you know, he's going to kind of show out, I think, over the next couple of weeks. And if the, the Seawolves make the postseason, you're going to get to, you know, you're going to get an earful about Isaac Paredes. But I still don't think people are quite looking at him accurately based on age, um, based on kind of what he's been able to accomplish um, at his age level. 
And it's fine to say that, yeah, he doesn't have any physical projection left. He's already a man. He's already, you know, filled out and he's got his man body. But, you know, the larger part of it is still mental um, and experience based. And he's still, you know, got a long ways to go in terms of gaining all that. And yet he's way, way ahead of almost any 20 year old you're going to see um, anytime soon. And so be very excited about Isaac Paredes and don't let anyone uh, bring you down. The Tigers are, are still badly lacking in position prospects. Um, you know, maybe, like we said earlier, maybe Travis Demerit, you know, turns out to be a solid player. Um, I really, really like Riley Green. I think Riley Green has a chance to be a star. Um, but, you know, that's not all there is. There's still Isaac Paredes. Um, beyond that, yeah, it's a little bleak. Um, there's a lot of guys with chances to be contributors. you got, you know, Daz Cameron, who still has a, a chance to be an above-average center fielder, but really struggled this year. Um, the Tigers farm system has a long way to go in terms of producing the position players that they're going to need to compete anytime in the near future and in the same timetable that all this pitching is, is supposed to hit. But um, but Isaac Prades is not one of those problems. Um, I think you know he, he's one of the system's best assets and people can really look forward to seeing him at Toledo next year. You know, I understand why, you know, at least generally speaking, why the Tigers decided to keep all these guys at Erie, but I would really like to see Isaac Paredes um, in Toledo hitting the Major League Baseball and, and seeing it soar out of the park. Um, I think, you know, once he sees what he's able to do with that, um, you know, and, and the Tigers kind of just turn him loose, you know, like, okay, you've you've kind of figured out how to, to spray the ball around a little bit more, um, how to take pitchers that are tough to handle and, you know, take some pitches the opposite way, let the pitch travel on you. He's been working on all that. It's been pretty successful. Uh, but once you kind of take the kid gloves off and to say, hey, do your thing, kid, I, I think you're going to see the home run power um, t- take a massive jump forward. And I would, if it was me, I'd love to see Isaac Prades in September. I'm sure that won't happen. Um, but I wouldn't, wouldn't really bother too long with him at Toledo next year. The Tigers might. But if it was me, Isaac Prades would, would be my starting shortstop next year. <laughs> and you guys can all call in or write me and tell me I'm a crazy person. But that's that's how I would go about it. I think he's just about ready. And if it was me, I'd play Willie Castro for, you know, six weeks. And if Willie Castro wasn't, you know, doing real well, I'm bumping Willie Castro to second base and I'm plugging in Isaac Prades at either second base or maybe third base, depending on, on how things shake out and letting him go. You know, we did that with um, Eugenio Suarez and he held his own just fine. And honestly, Isaac Prades is a better hitter than Eugenio Suarez was at that age. Um, so I think he can handle it just fine as well. So there's some good news for you. Um, Ashley McLennan and I will be back next Tuesday with our normal episode, um, health, health allowing. Um, and then as the minor league season wraps up and we've really only got like two weeks left here, basically, um, my responsibilities at the website will, will diminish somewhat. And at that point I will try to, um, focus a little bit more on the podcast because I would like to start getting more guests in here. Um, there's a lot of people I have access to and talk to regularly that I would like to share with you all. Um, it's just hard to coordinate all this. Um, I'm already, as, as all of us are here at, at Bless You Boys and SB Nation blogs, um, woefully overworked and underpaid. And so there's just, you know, there's just a limit to what, what I can put together for you in, in a given week. But yeah, with, um, with the end of the, the minor league season, you can look forward to a little bit more of that coming. And hopefully we'll have some, some more guests coming through, um, some more special episodes. Um, we'll try to bring you a, a lot more coverage um, during the postseason and actually maybe talk about that stuff and kind of leave the Tigers um, a little bit, you know, until 
until the whole season is is completed. But um, those are that's kind of what I'm thinking um, about the podcast at this point and what you guys can expect going forward. Really want to thank you all for sticking with me through this this epic. Um, maybe you listen to it in three parts. Maybe you like maniacally sat here like thinking along with me through the entire thing. Um, either way, I really appreciate your support. Um, thank you guys all very much for listening to the podcast, um, for following Bless You Boys, reading our, our work there and commenting and building, you know, the best baseball community um, I've ever been a part of and certainly the best uh, baseball community in the Tigers fan base and a great place to hang out. So thank you all very much. Um, we've got it, hmm, about 40 games left. We're in the home stretch. Hopefully things will get a bit more fun. Hopefully we get a few call-ups. And we'll have a few more things to look forward to. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.